The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we're in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. When you're there, please stand. It is our tradition to stand at the reading of God's Word. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or also known Tiberias, Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on the mountain when he sat down with his disciples. Now it was Passover, that is the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing the crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This was, he was saying, to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered, said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone even to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated. Likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted, and they were filled. And he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, so nothing will be lost. So they gathered up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who was to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. You may be seated. Now, we realize again that this this event, this miracle, is in all four Gospels. There are details that John does not give because John has a particular, I'll say, agenda. He's, he's given the details that are relative to what he's trying to do. And remember, Jesus is trying to show that, or John is trying to show that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can read in the last chapter John describes. That's his purpose in writing the book. And he gives, in particular, seven miracles to prove that point. He doesn't do them all. Matter of fact, again, you get to the last chapter of John and he says, man, Jesus did so many things, if we wrote them all down, it'd fill all the books. So he's saying, I didn't put all the details in there. And so when we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we pick up other parts of the details. So you might have gone, wait a minute, I don't remember it quite like that. Because you typically hear it taught out of Matthew or Mark. Luke actually gives the least amount of details. Now, it follows a pattern here, just like it did in chapter 5 when Jesus heals the fellow at the pool of Bethsaida. And there's a lame man there. He tells him to get up, walk. Remember that. He gives a long discourse, particularly about he and the Father being one, the equality between the Father and the Son. Okay, that makes the people angry. They want to kill him. All right, you'll see this similar pattern here. Now, when Jesus gives that discourse, he gives witnesses to prove 
that he is the Son of God. He starts with John the Baptist. He talks about his father's witness at the baptism. The works he's doing, and he emphasizes that, that the works the Father does, I do, and I only do what the Father the works the Father tells me to do. And he also says, but if you don't get that, to you should be the witness of Moses. If you didn't believe that Rose, Jesus, Moses wrote about me, you're just lost in the whole picture. Now that's important because the text tells us it's about Passover time. Okay, So that tells us that Moses, Passover Bread, wine, and the exodus and the time in the wilderness, including the manna that comes down from heaven, is on their mind. Matter of fact, Jesus refers to that later in the chapter and says he's the bread that came down to heaven. Okay, so we don't want to disconnect what he, how he ends, we call the ends chapter 5, and starts chapter 6. But we do have a change in location. He's moved from that Jerusalem area uh, to Capernaum. Jesus has actually moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, by the way. Um, and uh, that's in Matthew 4. And so he, he's in Capernaum, and they've spent a whole bunch of time ministering. So Jesus wants to get away to a secluded place, sort of to debrief with the disciples and get some rest. So this whole episode, well, he was in Nazareth, where they rejected his ministry in Nazareth has taken place. The Bible says he's traveled to various villages. So if we looked at a map of, and I should have did it because some of you may not have this picture in your head, but as Israel, when you head up towards Syria, I guess, follow the Jordan up from the Dead Sea, you get to the Sea of Galilee, okay, or, or the Sea of Tiberias, it's called, because, because uh, Paul, John is writing late into the, that first century, and by the city of Tiberias, named after Caesar, okay, so the Roman name comes to take over. Remember, we realize that John's writing to people that aren't necessarily Jewish in Jerusalem, okay? So he's the one who explains these Jewish words and Jewish names, realizing that his audience. So he uses that Roman name for those, see a Galilee, where's that? Oh, excuse me, see a Tiberias. That gives them an idea where it's at, okay? He's traveled to these, on that side of the, the, the sea, the lake, okay, on the, the uh, what we would say is the western side, there are several cities. Gennesaret, Capernaum, Nazareth isn't far from there, Tiberias, that's the populated side. On the east side, is, even to this day, is the unpopulated side. Bethsaida is up sort of the top north, 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 west corner. There's actually national parks there because as the Jordan River comes in this way and other tributaries come in, it's very green and lush. Um, there's a lookout up here on this high hill that would overlook where they believe this took place. I mean, it's very high. You can see all the whole lake and you can look the other way. You can go online and, and look at pictures of that. Okay, Jesus has received the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So the, he had sent his disciples in pairs to go out and preach. Now, don't think of this as just the 12 disciples, because we find out in the chapter there's a whole bunch of others, and some of them leave him because of this hard message that he tells, says. But Mark 6 puts it this way, in Mark 6, 30 through 32. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. 
And he, Jesus, said to them, Come away by ourselves to a secluded place and rest for a little while. For there had been many people coming to him, okay? And they did not have, they, the disciples, nor the people would have time to eat. And they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. So that, that preempts the Mark story. They left Capernaum by boat, okay? And if you go by boat or you walk, walking's only about a mile further. So why do you go by boat? To get secluded. You can't fit a whole bunch of other people in the boat with you. Now we do find out from the stories that, that many of these people, some of them actually run by land, others by boat. All right. So that's why we say, after these things, what things? All those things I just explained to you, they get away to the other side. Now, I also, you know, I think, I'm not sure what size Lake Payette is up there. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, this lake, though, is 700 feet below sea level. That's the shoreline. Because you're all heading, it's all heading to, as the Jordan heads down southward, eventually gets to the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth where Solomon and Gomorrah used to be. And when God pounds you into the ground, he pounds you into the ground. Okay? So it's the lowest point on earth. So as it's flowing down, even the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's 13 miles long, north to south, and its widest point is about seven miles across. That's not how far Jesus would be traveling both, because as the lake shaped sort of like this, they're going across this, and there was this triangle, if you will, uh, that where Jesus ministered most of his Galilean ministry. Now it says a large crowd followed him, recognized when he's on the west side of the lake. All the people coming down from the north along the Jordan have to go around the lake to get to Jerusalem for Passover. Okay, so this is one of the reasons it tells us why it's Passover. Why is there such a big crowd? You got all these people traveling, not just the people that lived in the towns there. Okay, it is spring. It tells me that when it's Passover, which for us is right around Easter. Our Easter, Easter always coincides with the Jewish Passover. So it's spring. When he says there's green grass, uh, we have all seen pictures of Palestine in the summer, Right? It's sort of like if you look up at the foothills right now, they're very green. They won't be in another month. So one of the reasons we know as Passover, and one of the reasons the grass is green, which all the Gospels talk about that grass, okay, is green is because it is spring. It's around Passover. It's given us that time frame. All right? And the idea that the whole idea of the Exodus and Moses and all that stuff is on their mind. That's why they're going to Jerusalem to do that celebration. So on this side of the lake with the people, as Jesus crosses over to the other side of the lake, the eastern side, people want to follow. Because remember, he's been ministering over here. He's been healing sick. He's been doing these things. And it tells us that, Mark tells us that so they left in such a hurry, both the disciples and the people didn't take anything to eat. What's the purpose of unleavened bread at Passover? So for the Jewish people, the quickness in which they had to leave. Okay, So this idea of leaving in a hurry fits with the Passover motif. Now Jesus goes to the other side, and he wants to go up on the mountain, which was, he typically would go up into a high place to pray and to be alone. That particular part, like I said, is can be very green, very wooded. I know we tend to think of, of Palestine as just desert, but because you're around the sea, 
okay? And around those tributaries coming in, it, it's quite green there. Right, and you can go you can Google map it and see a satellite image if you want. There's a bunch of farms down below these hills now. Uh, there's a Byzantine church <coughs> on the site, which actually they found a mosaic with the fish and the baskets. So at least we know the Byzantines thought that was the place. All right, and that's five to six miles from Bethsaida around there. Okay. So he goes up on this mountain. We call this area the Golan Heights. That's what we would call it today, the Six-Day War, right? People were shooting down at Israel from the Golan Heights, so Israel says, we've got to stop that, and that's why Israel took the Golan Heights. That's the area that we call it today. He, Jesus sees all these people. It says, Jesus went up and sat down with his disciples. And lifting up his eyes, he sees the large crowd. Well, in, in Mark, it says he had compassion upon them. He sees this crowd because they look like sheep without a shepherd in a grassy field or hillside. It makes sense, right? That imagery, okay, that he spent the day teaching them, okay, about the things of the kingdom of God and healing the sick. You can see that in the other accounts, okay? So you say, how do you teach to that many people? Well, for one, you're up a hillside on a lake. Now, my in-laws have a, have a cabin on a lake, and we'll go up there at the summertime. Spend some, you can hear people talking on the other side of the lake because, you know, how stuff carries on. Now you put them up on a hill and amplify that in a little bit of an amphitheater-type thing. But just to give you an idea, I, I don't know if you know this, but Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, wrote an autobiography. In it, he writes of his good friend, the Reverend George Whitfield, the greatest preacher of what's called the Great Awakening in the United States. Okay? Talks much about him. They were friends. But he's in Philadelphia and realizes how many people are listening to Whitfield at a moment. So he walks the streets of Philadelphia, starting on Market Street. You can read it in the autobiography. It's old. You can get it through the Library of Congress. You can get it as a PDF, or you can buy the book. And in the particular book, the version that I have, uh, electronic, that's on page 135. He talks about George Whitfield being able to speak to 25,000 people at a time without amplification. Okay? That's in Philadelphia. Imagine over a lake, up on a hillside. So it's not far-fetched, unless Ben was a liar. But he was trying to verify, Benjamin Franklin, was the reports he saw in the newspapers. Could that many people really hear? And part of it, he talks about the voice being loud and the crowd was always respectful and quiet. What an idea. Anyway, um, but, but our story here says, where, where it looks like Jesus looks to Phillips and goes, hey, uh, where can we buy bread for these people to eat? All right, but the other gospels tell us it's actually the disciples that broached the subject first or breach the subject first, they come up and say, hey, it's getting dinner time. It's evening. Uh, dismiss the crowd so they can go out to the village's surrounding areas and, and find some food. Now again, if they were going to go to Bethsaida, that's a five to six mile walk. That's an hour and a half to two hour walk. It's getting dark. If that's the town, they're going, why did he ask Philip? Anybody want to guess? Because we learn in verse, or chapter one, Philip's from Bethsaida. He's from the region. Well, why don't we dismiss these people? And then, hey, Phil, where would they go around here to eat? 
It's no different than when you visit family or relatives. Where's a good place to eat around here? He's asking the guy from there. Okay? You, you think the Bible tells us this name just because he wanted He wants to recognize Philip's from that region. He's, Philip is the one who recruited Nathaniel, and he said this, and I'm doing this on purpose because it links with the text. Okay? He, when he said to Nathaniel, he says, See, we have found him whom Moses wrote. It's Passover, who's on everybody's mind, okay? Who Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets wrote also Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. So Jesus himself draws on this Moses thing even later in the chapter. But it says that Jesus says to him, well, where could, where could we buy him something to eat? It tells us that Jesus is saying this to test them, that Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus was not asking Philip really for information. Because they've already said, and you see it in the other one, what do you mean? We're, we're in a desolate place. They're in a McDonald's here, man. This is a small town, Jesus. You're, you're lucky if, if there's a sandwich shop around the corner. Okay, so, so Jesus knows there's not a lot of places, but he's testing them. Um, why? Okay, well, I think part of it does is it also sets expectation for the reader. Jesus knew what he was intending to do. Oh, really? What's he intending to do? And those of us who know the story, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. I mean, that's just a literary device, okay? Um, but later he's going to tell, he's going to actually tell the disciples to do a particular thing to test their faith. They fail, and he actually says to them, oh, you a little faith. You'll see that as we move down the chapter. So he's literally going to test the, the 12 in particular, as he moves on. But even later, when they, they get back across to Capernaum, all right, he's going to tell them something they don't like. And he's going to see how many hang, how many stay with them. And I'll be honest, a bunch abandon him. And this is the first time in John where he refers to the 12, saying a whole bunch of others left, but there were 12 that stayed. And that would include Judas Iscariot. So, so this, this that he knew he was going to do and to test him, don't put it just in the context of this story. Jesus does this through the rest of the chapter. Philip's response, <laughs> six, seven months worth of wages ain't, ain't going to buy these people food. I mean, even if you did, they would get a little. Right, that's my paraphrase. He says 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone would receive a little. Okay, a denarii is about a day's wages. Okay, you can get that from Scripture and various other... Those who are here on Wednesday nights, you can look it up on the BDAG on two, page 223. And the rest of you go, say what? BDAG is, the, is a um, lexicon of Greek language, not just in the Bible, beyond that. And in particular, the BDAG the initials of these guys who edited it from the original guy who wrote it in German, blah, 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 blah. Okay? But those of you that come on Wednesday hear that, a reference to that uh, often. Okay, so I could just take a day 200, two, two, 200 denarii a day's week, figuring you work six days a week, Jewish, they don't work on one. I got seven to seven and a half months. Okay, it's not hard to figure out that. If you work for half a year, that'd be just enough to give everybody a little. And the reason I think that's important is this, and, and it's later when he says they were filled, is because some people who want to, wash away the miracles of Jesus' ministry, uh, is saying, well, everybody, he shared the, they shared the food, and everybody was polite, and took a little, you know, and everybody got a little. Well, it would be really little. 
But even 200 denarii worth of bread would get everybody a little. Right? I think what I think the point here in the story is that is they're pointing out the impossibility of this. There's no way we're gonna feed 20 to 25,000 people. But I think it's pointing out that, that this is just an impossibility, and I think he does that even more so as he goes on. Okay? And we learn that that the reason they know there's these loaves and fishes is Jesus actually sends them out to the crowd to find out, well, what, how much food is in the crowd? We've already been told in one of the other Gospels, they left without get, bringing anything with them. And so they got there and they find this young lad. Again, and some guys that are way smarter than me, that word lad can be a young slave. It doesn't necessarily have to be male. Um, and I let the scholars who are the experts in Greek debate that one. Now he has five barley loaves. Now I think this is the only one of the Gospels that tells us it's barley. And if you read non-biblical, uh, I'll call it secular Greek at the time, you can run across some things where somebody talks about bar- barley loaves and, and the response of the other recipient is, well, just give it to the horses. Because barley, you ever ate barley bread? That ain't white flour, white bread. That ain't wonder bread, folks. Barley bread's the low-end bread. You know, my wife eats that bread with nuts and twigs and sticks and things in it. You know what I mean? Uh, but that's barley bread. Uh, okay? It's not like you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna smoosh it and roll it in a nice soft ball. Then he has these fish, and you heard me tell the kids, there's no refrigeration. It's been all day. It's probably either a pickled or a dried fish. That, that's probably what we're looking at. And they're not big old loaves of bread like we think. Some argue that, they're, that the word actually means cracker. Uh, and I'm not, again, not a good, an, an expert enough anyway to determine that. But it also tells you this. How were the disciples and Jesus going to eat? They didn't even have anything with them. So they go find this, this lad's lunch or dinner. Okay. And verse 10 tells us, Jesus said, have them sit down. Now, the other Gospels show, tell us that he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100, according to the men. All right? So how do you know there was about 5,000 men? Because we put them in groups of 50 and 100, and we can just count groups. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't have to count every person, just groups. All right? And according to the men, which would mean according to families. Now, Jesus has been teaching and healing all day long, and the children were there. I'm not going to over put too much time on that one. They didn't send the children off to be watched somewhere else. The children were in the time period where Jesus is teaching and healing all day long, and the children were there. I'll keep moving. But the other thing, these these. Groups of 50s and 100, it creates aisles. You group these people. Now, now you can get in between the people, and Jesus knows what he's going to do to distribute these, this food, this bread and this fish. And again, it says that there was uh, much grass in the place. You, again, you can go online and look at that if you want. Okay, But it, but it tells us that's probably comfortable. I mean, anybody, anybody outside yesterday out on your nice green grass when the rain finally stopped and after all this cooler weather... It was nice, okay? 
And then Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks. Now I'm going to take that word given thanks for a minute. Often referred in the other Gospels, the word blessed. It is the word where we get the word Eucharist. This Greek word means to bless. It doesn't mean communion. It means to bless. So when you sit down to bless your food, it's a Eucharist. Okay, no matter what Catholicism labels the Eucharist, the reason they call it that is because when Jesus broke the bread at the Lord's Supper, he did this same thing. He gave thanks. Okay? So um, imagine he gave thanks for the five loaves and the two fishies. We tend to have a little sarcasm in our brain there. We'd be going, you're thanking him for that? That ain't going to get it. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I know you would never think that way. You're more spiritual than I am, but I would think that way. Okay? Um, so he gives them thanks for what they had, but he's also thanking him in advance for the miracle. Jesus already knew what he intended to do. Okay? Let me put it another way. Present your prayers and supplications and petitions with thanksgiving. Okay? With, with, and you've heard me talk, not and, with thanksgiving. So Jesus is coming, he knows what he's going to do, and he gives thanks ahead of time. We, we see Jesus do this on other occasions. We see him do it at the Lord's Supper. And one of the reasons of the tradition in many Christian homes is to pray for food, because Jesus did. We find it, he just did it. So we do it, okay, in thanksgiving. Now Mark, Matthew Mark says he actually looked up to heaven. Now why do you think he would do that? Because 25,000 people are watching. Okay? He wants them to understand the source. I only do what the Father does. I and the Father are one. So let's look up where they know the Father to be and let's make sure they understand that I'm doing this because the Father does it. All right? Um, what's interesting, this is how John speaks of it late, later when they return to the same place in verse 23, John says this, the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. The point he's pointing out, not the bread, the fish, not the lad, not the amount of people. But he recalls, this is the place where Jesus gave thanks. Okay, so the emphasis here is the giving thanks. That, that's the emphasis, at least in John's eyes. Okay? Um, and he raises his eyes up to heaven. And what's interesting, again, he does the same thing when he lays, raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Father, I thank you. That's how he starts. That you have already heard me. Well, you haven't said anything until here, until until Lazarus, I mean, until he gets there, he doesn't say anything. That you've heard me. But I know that you always hear me. But for the sake of those standing here, I declare, Lazarus, come forth. He thanks God for the miracle before it's there. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's unchanging word.